on today's show. I love where I am today and I have a super fun job where I get to just go in and, you know, there's stress, but I really just get to think of ways to be funny every day, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and with one of the funniest people in the world, I think James Corden. I, um, so it took a long time and I was really, really broke at times, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I, we kind of left this part out, but I, you know, I had, when I met my now wife, she, uh, had moved to New York for a job and I didn't, you know, she, this was in 2008 and she had said like, I'm not going to do long distance. We can e- we can either break up or, or you can move to New York with me. So I moved to New York in 2008 <laughs> when everything oh, was crashing as yeah. far as the job market. And I had just started to make money as a writer in LA and I thought I could do the same thing in, in New York. And I was, couldn't, I got that. I just couldn't get any work. And I was 30 years old and I was a production assistant on hmm. Nanny 911. Wow, yes. Um, and just because I couldn't get, I was making like $100 a day um, as a 30-year-old at, at working with guys who, you know, were at the same level of me were like 21, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it was <laughs> it was miserable, you know, and I hated it. But, um, you know, in hindsight, it was... Uh, I guess it created character. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one, one. Welcome to the Creator Institute podcast. Your host, Eric Coster. A lot of times we're afraid of failure and and it's natural that we're afraid of it. But what's interesting is the power of failure and just the act of trying to sort of open opportunities for us down the road. And that's the story of Ryan McKee. Ryan McKee was someone I met early in his adventures when uh, he and I got to collaborate on a project together of actually launching and putting out a comedy magazine. Now, it was a failure. (laughs) It made no money. In fact, it lost money. But the experience of creating something like that really did open tons of doors and and helped kind of Ryan get the skills and the experiences to sort of build himself as an expert and sort of a first steps into the world of comedy. Today, Ryan is uh, one of the lead digital creators for The Late Late Show with James Corden. And he, in fact, won an Emmy for some of his work uh, with James. And I think what's been fascinating to see is that he has taken sort of this early career failure and some of the challenges and trials and tribulations thereafter, but use that failure to learn and to help him accelerate and today be one of the top minds in creating some incredible digital content that has gone viral many times over. Uh, I love Ryan. He's a great example of someone who is continuing to create, uh, now working on things like a book and a podcast. But I think at the core of all of this, I think many of us can learn that simply the act of trying something, even if it may fail, will give us something. It'll give us the skills and experiences to learn from. It'll give us kind of the stories to look back on when we're out there trying to do the next thing. But perhaps most importantly, it gives us the confidence to realize that even if we fail, the simple act of doing it is better than doing nothing at all. Ryan McKee, ladies and gentlemen, an awesome person. I have to say he's an Emmy Award winner as well, or he'll otherwise get mad at me. Great guy. I think you can enjoy the conversation. This is so exciting. Ryan McKee, um, we have been friends for since a, a, a long boat trip around the world. 
and, uh, and and now get the chance to reconnect and chat about your epic adventures in publishing and failing in publishing <laughs> and uh, our adventures traveling around the world. So super excited to have you here. I, I feel like that intro is much more exciting than I am uh, <laughs> for the failure part, which is true. But uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so it, it's uh, it's funny, you know. In a lot of ways, you, you, a couple months back or fairly recently, I, I saw you had posted a video on Facebook of you and your boss, James Corden, um, doing a little bit where you were spinning uh, some kind of a wheel. Um, yeah. So, so what's it like now to work uh, kind of in uh, in late night television um, and uh, and have these sort of experiences that, in some ways, got to feel a little surreal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've been trying to work in comedy full time for uh, <laughs> 15 years. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't until three years ago that I got the opportunity to work at the Late 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 Late, late Show with James Corden. So it is amazing. I mean, I, I, I love it. I work as the. Uh, senior digital producer there. Um, I manage the web, you know, I'm involved in managing the website, all the helping with this, all the social media accounts, like all the original creative stuff that doesn't go directly on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, like our web exclusive videos and stuff like that I get to do. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. And you, like, you know, you you won you won an, an Emmy. So like it's it's like it's not like no screwing around here either. Uh, yeah, I mean it makes it <laughs> <laughs> it makes it a lot easier to win best interactive television show when uh, you know James and the executive producer came up with the idea to do carpool karaoke and it became a massive hit. Which yeah, you know it would have whether. I was the digital producer or, you know, anybody probably, but it was, you know, sometimes you get lucky in those senses for sure. (laughs) But you, but I mean, in fairness, right. I mean, you, you're nominated for an Emmy. I mean, that's exciting in of itself, right? You guys are just sort of a tiny digital interactive arm. And it's not like, I mean, you're up against like massive players in the industry. Like, I mean, you, you can share some of the people you were up against. You had to be just like honored. And, you know, people say we're just honored to be here. You sort of had to be like, you were just sort of lucky to be here and everything else is, you know, like, go just get drunk. Absolutely. Because it was, yeah. Um, uh, it was our first year, uh, even being a show, there's only three of us who were in the digital team for the Lele show. Um, Whereas I think uh, to give people a reference, uh, Stephen Colbert has like six or seven people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like Conan O'Brien has more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when we were in that first year, I think we were up against where I know we were up against Conan. Um, we were up against game of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones. I remember. Cause they had that 3d, that 3d experience you could do with the opening of their show. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were up against like all these 3d, like these very like well-established like 3d animator, uh, artists. And who else was, I think, uh, talking dead was up for it too. Um, 
So, you know, it's, it's interesting what you can, you can get into in the digital space, you know, though, you know, you're competing against a a bunch of shows you wouldn't necessarily be put in the same category with in anything else, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, 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 what's it like to be at the Emmys? I mean, you know, everyone sees it on TV and, and everything. Is it, uh, you were, you were more, you were better dressed than I'd probably ever seen you. So that was the first thing, um, that I, that I noted, but like, what's it like to be at the, at the Emmys? This has sort of got to be a little surreal to sort of be at an event like that, that you typically only see on TV. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my wife calls it adult prom. <laughs> Because that's really, and I mean, she gets actually even more excited than I do because she gets to get a dress and um, it's a reason to get real uh, spiffed up. Um, what is it like? You know, so um, I've been twice now um, and uh, it's more fun when you win. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, but maybe what some people don't know is the Emmys are over multiple nights mm-hmm. and the, the Emmys that everybody thinks of the primetime Emmys where all like the big actors are all the big awards. Um, that was, that's not the one where we won at, mm-hmm. that we ours is called the creative arts Emmys, which is the weekend mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. So it's still, everybody's still real dressy and, looks great and it's in the and you, st- you still get the real statue too like it's not like i mean don't undersell it here yeah. <laughs> you still get the same statue and stuff and it's still in the same venue and you still get the same you know uh fancy meal afterward um the, the same gala but um it is a bit of a different experience because i did get to go to the primetime mm-hmm. emmys this year mm-hmm. um with the Late Late Show, and it it uh, it's a much more glamorous event for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it you get there and it's it's great. You're like you're all dressed up. You 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 see all these like the creative arts. I mean, is even I think more fun. You you getting to see all these like costume designers and makeup artists and stuff. And they're like wearing the craziest stuff that you wouldn't see that, that looks really cool, but that you would never see like a big TV star wear, you know what I mean? They would be on ease, like worst dressed or whatever. Um, (laughs) You get to see all these really creative people. And this is like their biggest, some, you know, some of the pinnacle of their career, or if not the pinnacle, it's like the biggest night of their, their year. And yeah, they're just, they have a blast, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, it's way less crowded than the primetime Emmys. So you get to actually, afterward, you get to actually kind of mingle with more people and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's super fun. So, um, when you, and I had, I did not think we were going to win. I thought we were definitely going to that first year lose the game of Thrones. So I was not expecting to even go on stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when we go up there, uh, you know, I had, I had no plan. So we, we kind of just ran up there and like, and there's only 30 seconds to give, uh, an acceptance speech and our executive producer, like, you know, he grabbed the Emmy and he starts giving the acceptance speech. And I tried to remind myself, like, just, uh, like, just, <laughs> just enjoy the moment. Just try to enjoy yeah. the moment. 
So you can see me off to the side in the video. I'm not even really like by the podium or anything. I'm just kind of looking out over the, <laughs> the audience like an awkward teen uh, in the corner of a, a prom, um, just trying to like bring it all in. But I don't know. It was it was fun. I don't know what more to say about it. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. And and uh, and like, have you you know like with the Stanley Cup where people now have the Stanley Cup and they take it out drinking places? Do you like have this? You carry it around and you're like, you know, like, taking photos of it in awkward places. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, so with each Emmy category, there's only a certain amount of statues you can get. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, for the best interactive uh, show, you, there's like, I think it's four spots you can, you can get. So our two executive producers took two of the spots mm-hmm. and James took, the third spot. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth spot was reserved for like our digital team. So mm-hmm. we have one, uh, award that we keep in our office. Mm-hmm. And you, you, that, uh, you just check it out of the library to say who gets it for the weekend. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never checked it out cause I'm afraid I'll break it or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's real fun when like friends come by the office and they can take pictures with it. That's, that's about what it's used for right now. Awesome. Awesome. But and yeah, so let's, let's go back a little bit to, you know, sort of your, your adventures in comedy. Cause you know, I think you've, it's one of those things that, you know, you knew sort of early on that you wanted to sort of somehow break into comedy. And, and when I met you, we, we got the chance to do improv together and you were doing videos and stuff like that, even back in college. And so it's kind of been a, an interesting journey to get to the point where you're now doing a full-time job that pays and has health insurance uh, in, in the business of comedy. Yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. And it's been a very uh, winding road to get there. But, right. but, you knew, uh, but you knew, did you have this sense like, what was it when you were young that said, hey, I want to do that? Was there some kind of like a, was there an event or some television show or a hero that you had that said like, I would love to be in, able to be in comedy somehow? <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, but I, it's absolutely true. I remember uh, loving Full House mm. and, um, and on in Full House, uh, Uncle Joey is a stand-up comic, even though yep. you never get to see him do comedy. Right. Um, but he always just seemed like super fun and just got to hang around the house. I'm like, well, that's the, the job then. <laughs> <laughs> just be a stand-up comic because apparently you just get to uh, hang out all the time and be super funny. Uh, I thought he was super funny, but in hindsight, he probably wasn't. No, he, uh, listen, I think uh, at the moment growing, he did voices. And so uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, Dave Coulier. He is a real comic though, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is. I didn't know that. No. Then. Um, and then also, uh, there was like, you know, when I grew up in a very small town and we didn't in Northern Arizona, we didn't have many TV channels cause back then you had to have a big satellite dish right. to have like a bunch of, uh, channels. <clears throat> so I think we only had like 12 and, but on Friday nights, one of the channels, there was like a, a Friday night stand up a comedy show that my dad and I would always watch and I loved it. So Mm. that planted the early seeds for sure. But I didn't think I would ever perform comedy. I thought I was too scared Mm. um, at least to do stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I knew I always wanted to go into writing mm-hmm. uh, in some sense. Um, and so when I went to college, I majored in English. Um, but cause uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure what else to, uh, I, yeah, I just wanted an excuse to read a bunch and write a bunch. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you, you graduate with a degree in, in English, which is yeah. obviously, uh, sets yourself up for oodles of different careers. Uh, <laughs> but, but so you, you then took the decidedly un, uh, un, English major route uh, that is now now being profiled in a in a in an epic television show. Uh, you became a forest firefighter. Yes, <laughs> I did. So while I was in college, I got I became obsessed with like the uh, Ernest Hemingway, mm. you know, and kind of this adventure. Like you know, he went and was a you know he went and uh, you know he went to World War. To, to become an ambulance medic, you know, because they wouldn't let him be a soldier or whatever. Like he was all about going and, and experiencing like these, these life experiences so you could write about them. And I felt like I had no big life experiences and I needed to go do something like macho and uh, travel like Ernest Hemingway would. So I became a uh, forest firefighter because I had some friends who I'd grown up with who had done it, had not gone to college and had went gone right into doing the forest service. And so they were able to get me in and I was on a 20 person crew. It's called a hotshot crew. And you travel all around the Western United States, wherever the biggest forest firefighters are. Um, And so I went to pretty much every Western state from, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, just um, doing these big forest fires um, and working for like seven months out of the year on that. Mm-hmm. And I did it for two years. And the and the second summer you did it, you sort of said, you know, because it's, it's a lot of work. You're basically gone for seven straight months. It's not like you're in, able to communicate very well. You sort of just disappear, but you make great money, right? So... So you, yeah, you, well, it was, it was great money for me at 22 yeah, years old. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But so you look at that and you say, okay, um, you know, my career is not to be a hotshot, although you could have had a television or could have had a, a, a movie now that you see what's coming out. Isn't there a movie called Hot Shots that's coming out? Uh, that, that was no, a movie that already yeah. came out about like those hotshots who died. Yes, the right. Well, I guess that's right. Yeah, that, then the, it wouldn't have been such a great movie to be about you. So take it. No, uh, I'm glad that movie wasn't about me. <laughs> true. But, but that wasn't your, your calling. Uh, but you, you sort of decide to do it a second summer. And this time you you say, hey, I'm going to take this money that I make from this one and I'm going to use it to do something um, sort of that can hopefully advance your, your, uh, your long-term goals. Right. So like after the first summer, I'm like, I'm going to use this money to just sit around and like this, the five, six months I had in between fire seasons, I was like, I'm just going to use it to, I traveled to Europe for like a month and then I came back and I'm like, I'm just going to use the rest of the money to sit around and write uh, a book. I thought I was going to write, I was going to finish this uh, book of short stories. Um, and that didn't go so well. <laughs> and so I went <laughs> out of money and I went back for another forest, uh, fire season. And, um, and then I got it in my head. I wanted to do something more collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I had, you know, written for our, my college's newspaper. Um, I had written for a, a variety of publications, 
as a freelancer. And, and I had this idea. I really wanted to do an independent comedy magazine. I was inspired by, uh, you know, I mean, everything from, you know, the early days of the onion to, uh, the writer Dave Eggers, he had done a magazine called might magazine that, uh, had put him on the map in San Francisco. And so I thought I was wanting to do something like that. And so I told myself, I'm going to save all my money and I'm just going to start this. I'm going to teach myself how to put out a independent comedy magazine. And I, somehow convinced some of my friends to uh, help me, including yeah, you. Sadly. You uh, told me I should not do a magazine, but should make it a website. Yeah, well, let's, let's I, pause there before we go on to that one. So, so, so <laughs> I, you know, this was just to set context wise, this is like in 2001 or two. Is that right? No, two, more. Yeah, let's see. It, I graduated college in 2001. So it was, more like 2004. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so you, you, you know, you, uh, you'd already done a lot of work on this concept of magazine. So it was like something that you hadn't just jumped into lightly. Like even though someone else, even though I had jokingly said, Hey, what about the web? But at the time though, you'd put a lot of thought into why. So it wasn't, this was like some dumb idea. You'd been thinking about it for a while. Right. Well, I mean, I wanted to, I, I really had, you know, I was really into zine culture, which is essentially just, you know, uh, the, was the cool word for independently published magazines. That was everything from, you know, some girl writing, uh, you know, nine poems and kind of, you know, folding paper and putting it together and, mm-hmm. and putting a staple in it and calling it a zine yep. to, you know, more professionally published uh, looking magazines. And I just really loved that publishing world and I wanted to be part of it. Um, and I didn't, this was, you know, it's going to be hard for especially younger listeners to to understand this, but, you know, I didn't have email address until my freshman year of college. Like, I never used right. email until I went to college, right. you know? And then um, I when we started Moss Proposal Magazine, fr- uh, Friendster was, like, just starting to be on the map. So there was not even really social media yeah. yet. Um, I mean, Facebook was out there, but it, it wasn't really a thing mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and people weren't so interconnected. So it didn't seem so crazy to make something, you know, small that I could like hand out to people yeah. and, and, and meet people. And I, and I, I knew I wanted to get into comedy writing in some way. I just didn't know how. So I wanted to put something out there in the world that could showcase that mm-hmm. and, and hopefully it would lead to opportunities. Now, and, and part of it too was when you picked the topic of uh, to sort of cover the world of comedy, part of surely that was because there was a hole in the market you saw. But the other part of it was because you, you saw it as a way to meet sort of these, you know, uh, these comedians that you had only known from, uh, from, from watching full house. So, so what was the, yeah. what was the sort of strategy on that front to sort of expand your network through the publication? You're right. Yeah. So I had, you know, I read every independent magazine I could get my hands on back in those days. And they, yeah, I would say 85% of them were, were music, uh, based, you know, they covered the world of music. Um, and I couldn't find one 
that really covered comedy the way these other magazines covered Mm -hmm. music you know where they interviewed musicians they had reviews of albums they you know they wrote like long thought pieces about different musicians or whatever on tomorrow's episode part two of our conversation where we'll dig into the power of creating something like a magazine as well as the pain of having to shut it down more from ryan mckee tomorrow